This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Solomon. Happy to be back with you again, Al, as always. Yes, it's like twice in a week. I'm not sure when they're running this, but uh, it's been relatively recent since we last spoke. Don't get uh, used to it. <laughs> but back together because we have a very special uh, guest with us back on the show. Another wrestling magazine uh, guy, I know a good friend of yours. Brian, uh, and a fellow author, uh, Keith Elliott Greenberg. How's it going, Keith? Hey, good to see you again, Al, even if it is remotely. Yes, absolutely. And as I mentioned, Keith's got a, a new book. I think when we last had you on the podcast here, we were uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic, and we I think we talked a bit about how kind of surreal it was. And now, uh, whatever it is, a couple of years later, you wrote a whole book just on that subject. Uh, what, what's it called again? It is called... Follow the Buzzards, Pro Wrestling in the Age of COVID-19. And it is by ECW Press, which published my last book, uh, Too Sweet, Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution. And it all it's the same publisher that published Blood and Fire, Brian's classic. That's right. And possibly my next book, which is still under wraps. But yeah. You guys are, uh, it's just so impressive to me how you guys just crank these out. I mean, how much... uh... What what do you expect me to do, hang around with my (laughs) (laughs) Right, that's overrated. You got to work, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, when when you're done with one of these, I guess this goes to to either or both of you. When when you're done with one of these, um, do do you get hyped up to do the next one? Is it a bit of a kind of like a a slog? I was with this one. You know, because this is really a companion to my last book. My last book is about the indie wrestling revolution, and it ends basically with the first broadcast of AEW Dynamite. So there were, you know, there was a cliffhanger. It's like, okay, what's going to happen to indie wrestling now? I've given you the history to this point. Now, Now what happens? Does WWE and AEW... Uh, scoop up all the best indie talent and then the indies are dead. Um, does AEW last the first year? You know, does AEW make such an indent into WWE that WWE is buckling like never before? So it screamed for um, a sequel. And by the time I finished the epilogue, it was apparent that that sequel was going to be about pro wrestling during the pandemic because now we were going through a year that was beyond anything I think any of us have experienced. I mean, and that pro wrestling has experienced, although I wasn't around during the Spanish flu. So maybe <laughs> pro wrestling uh, experienced something yeah. similar at that time. That that really hurt Joe Stecker's marketability, I heard. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do they have a, a Thunderdome at the time? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah totally yeah it was it was uh 
Earl Caddick and Joe Stecker in the Thunderdome. They they hadn't even, <laughs> which was wild because they hadn't even invented television yet, but they still had the screens up with everybody. It was amazing. But they just yeah. had they just had very primitive radio transmitters. Right, yeah, it's like right. analog screens. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, everyone's listening in on radio. <laughs> Anyhow, we're going to talk about the book more in, in just a moment. I mean, it, it, it's uh, a subject matter that is so interesting and comes up pretty frequently here uh, when Brian and I talk about uh, wrestling. Uh, but real quick, I want to get the plug out of the way. Uh, and us being on video, I think they're putting this on YouTube. I get to hold the prop. This is the PWI 500, the latest okay. issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You can get this over at pwi-online.com. Uh, fair to say the biggest issue of the year is certainly uh, up there. Lots of chatter uh, about it. Uh, don't miss out on getting yours uh, by all means. If I'm you can find the new, it, do I'm that. Joking. When I when I leave here, I'm actually going to buy at the newsstand. Yeah, I've got to actually buy myself an extra one uh, because this was a first. Somebody asked me to uh, to sign one uh, for them and give it to them. So I'm going to go out of pocket and, and buy one and <laughs> as a gift for someone. Uh, but you know, two WWE magazine guys here. I'm interesting, you know, Keith. You, how long were you at the magazine? The ropes magazine. Two guys who also That's right. inside the ropes magazine. How long were you at the uh, WWE magazine again, Keith? 20, 22 glorious years. So some of that overlap, I'm sure, with the PWI 500. Do you remember? You know, yeah, was there any chatter over there about the 500? I mean, I and mean, yeah. any thought of doing something similar? Well, Brian um, was in the office. I was not. I was a freelancer and I was on retainer. So I would go to the arenas, but not. So I don't remember chatter in the office. I remember discussions among the people who enjoyed wrestling about the PWI 500 because everybody talks about the PWI 500. And That's good especially the wrestlers. Like I can remember, you know, uh, it was probably last year or the year before. Uh, as Brian knows, uh, by sheer circumstance, I was in high school at the same time as MJF's mother. And mm. MJF was wrestling, I believe, John Moxley, who was PWI Wrestler of the Year. And on, on, on the PWI, was that last year or the year before? I think he was number one on the 500, right? Was that it? Or was it Wrestler yes, of the Moxley Year? Moxley was. Yes, that was, was maybe... So ago. it was, uh, it would have been two years ago, right? It was his, after his first year in, in AEW, yeah. But, but I remember MJF's mother posting something on Facebook, like, I can't believe it. Like, I remember, like, the PWI 500 coming to our house and putting it on Max's bed, you know, <laughs> school. And now he's wrestling the number one guy on the PWA 500, PWI 500. So that's what the PWI 500 yeah. means to these guys in the business now. Yeah, I think yeah. it means the most, honestly, to the talent, to the wrestlers, uh, you know, because even like, like Keith was saying, I was in the office and, you know, in the corporate side of things, they would always try to no sell all the other wrestling magazines and things. And, you know, but the but the actual wrestlers, when you were on the road and when you were in locker rooms and stuff, they talked about still wrestling magazines, specifically PWI. I mean, they would talk about wow at the time, but they talked about PWI and, and it meant something to them to get the awards and to get ranked on the 500, you know, because I think. Honestly, it doesn't it, it's it's not a big breakthrough, but I think the wrestlers 
understood the business a lot more than the office people did very often. So yeah, yeah. My my quick MJF PWA five hundred story. Um, you know, come five hundred time, uh, we're looking. We, we want to make sure that we're really kind of tied into the independent scene and uh, not missing any uh, uh, real standout indie talent that should be uh, on the 500. And I've got a friend who uh, trained locally here on Long Island. I remember asking her a few years back, is there anybody who's like coming up on the independent scene on Long Island that, that you know, maybe should be somewhere on the list? And a friend of mine oh, told me, oh, there's this would have been maybe 2017, something like that. And she's uh, uh, there's this guy, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, who, who trains at my school, you, who you might want to keep your eye on. And, you know, who knows? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if, if he tops this list one day. You know, he's certainly uh, in the mix. So, well, that, that was um, borne out by the promo on on Dynamite yes, between was. him and yeah, Regal. That was quite a promo. Yeah, I don't know how. I'm assuming most, if not all, of that was a shoot. I mean, I you, well, I don't really know, but but I mean, it that says a lot about you know, kind of like how much it meant to him and and how dedicated he was in those early years. You know, before he got really discovered. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, I was, is it all a shoot? I mean, I'm sure it's embellished. Although like, you know, I was just on a book tour in the UK and with the, you know, the inside the ropes franchise and, you know, two of those days were a speaking tour that William Regal was doing. And he told that story that you heard on Dynamite about being 16 years old and getting beaten up by grown men and going to sleep crying and bleeding from everywhere in his body so you know that was that was not a work that's for sure yeah yeah there's some truth to it uh so just to wrap up again go pwi-online.com you can pick this up subscribe and you'll be sure not to miss uh two other ranking issues you know one we we put to bed recently should be out relatively soon the women's 150 and um just this past week we've been having some conversations i know brian you're part of the conversations uh about the uh what is now the tag team 100 list which is on deck starting to put that together it's starting to take shape uh i think it's going to be very newsworthy don't miss any of them head on over to pwi-online.com uh, Keith, so let's talk uh, pandemic. I think it's, it, again, such an interesting time. You know, uh, uh, Brian and I have uh, uh, talked a lot about how one of the things that is frustrating about WWE in the last 10 years plus is that uh, it's looked the same for so long, right? I mean, if you pop in uh, a Monday Night Raw from 2012, from a, a production value, it, it's indistinguishable from what exists today. And that's been the case for so long, but for one exception, and it is that pandemic period. And it is, I think, the one um, you know uh, uh, year that maybe we go back to many years from now to check out some of those shows, just because they were so weird. I mean, you know, Monday Night Raw originally in in um, the heck with Monday Night Raw, WrestleMania, in front of an in, in an empty gym, essentially. And then for weeks uh, in, in the performance center without fans, then a, a scattered few fans, then the Thunderdome era, uh, so novel. And then AEW kind of had its own twist on things uh, out of Jacksonville. They had some fans back, but it was this weird kind of vibe where it's just a few and here and a few there. And if you recall, and this is all in the book, everything we're talking about is in the book. Um, you know, at one point, WWE was they were doing matches in the performance center with trainees standing, not sitting 
behind plexiglass. Right. And, it, and they had to wear masks and some got scolded, I remember, for not wearing masks. Yeah, and it was and it was it was dark in there. And it, you know, it was just so otherworldly. And it's so easy to forget this is the recent past, but it's almost like for all of us, there's an edit, a mental edit during that period. And mm -hmm. I, I brought this up in another interview I did. I was recently talking to a woman I know in Los Angeles who got pregnant and had a child during COVID-19. And now she gets together with old friends and it's almost like she never gave birth because it's like we went <laughs> back to 2019 and, and it's almost like we've edited out the in-between yeah. part. Right, like, like hitting yeah. a pause button on life, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's already in some ways, I feel, uh, just speaking for myself, a little nostalgia, you know, I, I, um, uh, I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I logged into some of those Thunderdome shows because my kids got a kick out of it. And, and, you know, you'd, you'd stand in front of your uh, laptop and you'd wait to see if you could see your face on, on raw. And a couple of times we did, and you'd have to, you know, we'd, we'd press pause on the uh, DVR and scan every screen in the arena to see if one of them, uh, was us. Uh, it's such a, you know, weird, bizarre time, something that, that hopefully, you know, we never have to go through, Again, so that's from a, a production standpoint, but I also think it's really interesting. And, and let's talk about WWE for a moment, what it did to the product. And I, I think there were some pros and some cons, but um, I think by and large, when I think about the, the worst WWE product in the last 20 years, I think it's that pandemic year from a creative standpoint. And um, I, I wonder if, it, if it's just a matter of not having that um you know having an audience there you know that kind of like nightly uh you're 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 not calculating in the two cinematic matches at wrestlemania 36 oh I, there were, again there was there were some good a absolutely there was some good another one that i point out as a as a pro was the the edge randy orton greatest match in the history yeah, of the right, world right. And yeah that, which was, was very good and it was yeah, that uh that was not unlike it was post-produced you know, the, the, yeah. the boiler room brawl you know there there had been cinematic matches in the past as i point out in the book but now we were dependent on cinematic mm. matches i and think look, it's yeah go ahead no please no if we hadn't had the cinematic match in matches at wrestlemania 36 which and i say this in every interview criticize WWE creative all you want during that period. But Vince McMahon had a green light, those two matches. And one was like, as I always say, one was like John Wayne in true grit. And one was like a racer head. So you had <laughs> very different types of cinematic matches. And without that, you would not have had stadium stampede, which honestly, yeah. I remember extremely fondly that first stadium stampede. And that's a match I would, you know, gleefully watch again. That, what, I mean, that I, was one of the, I'm sorry, again, Brian. No, I was just going to say one thing, and I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys think of this, or maybe I'm off base, but we used to talk about Al, that I, I always assumed that um, even at, that the, the whole cinematic match thing was, had gotten so much traction that it would, 
be a regular continued thing even after the pandemic. And I don't think that's really happened. Like I expected it to be much more of a thing now. Me I kind of thought like, well, we're for better or worse, we're stuck with these things now because people like them, but they've kind of gone away. Am, am I wrong? Right, because there's not a necessity for it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it takes a lot of work, right? I mean, that's the other part of it is just from a production standpoint, um, it's extra effort versus being in arena. The the ring is set up there, you know, let's just do it in, in, in there. Uh, but it, good but it, friends with uh, I'm good friends with some of the 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 makeup and and costume and design people at WWE still, and they were telling me what an incredible pain in the behind it was to do. I think they were talking about um, the Undertaker. It might have been the Undertaker AJ Styles one of just like having to they're dressing the set like they're making a movie and, and all this stuff, and they're just like we're making a movie, and they're going yeah. God. Otherwise, I mean. <laughs> Right, you know, they were. AJ they were making it. Was thrown off the roof. It was like watching a horror movie. It's like right. he, he literally didn't have to be thrown off a roof for a change. <laughs> yeah, right. and, and I did that match. Also had the Money in the Bank match where it appeared that uh, Baron Corbin threw two people to their deaths. Right. right. I thought. I yeah. thought Rey Mysterio would have been out on the post road in front of in front of twelve forty one at the uh, beer distributor. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought he'd be at the beverage barn or something, right? But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I was slow to come around on some of this, and 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 I remember watching the the Undertaker uh, AJ Styles match. My first reaction was negative, but then I did come around on it, and uh, now again, looking back with with some you know hindsight, you really do appreciate. Um, the innovation that came out, and and this goes for for all kinds of you know the fact that we're doing this on Zoom was was an innovation right. that came out I, of the I, pandemic. I'm about that, you know that you know now like look at the world of podcasting how that's been transformed, and you know yeah. this is and that's why this book isn't only about professional wrestling; it's about the rest of the world. Like I've had some criticism, like. Why did you have to mention Brexit? Why did you have to mention, you know, Trump? Because that was happening. Everything was mixed together during that period. We couldn't distinguish between what was wrestling and what was real life. Uh, you, you've got uh, a Bray Wyatt uh, on the cover, right? I mean, that's the fiend on the, well, the, the cover uh, of the book. It's not, you may interpret it as Bray Wyatt. <laughs> it, it is, uh, okay, fair enough. I mean, um, I don't see any trademark on this over here. <laughs> it, it's somebody with a mask on. Uh, uh, but but I do think it in, in some ways, it's kind of the perfect figure to, to uh, you know, analyze. To um, as far as, yes, because of the whole cinematic overtones. And again, w- when I think of the worst of, pandemic era wrestling i think of of bray white and i don't mean this i guess in some ways i do as a slide on him but it is like you can take this stuff too far and in the absence of um again that nightly focus group that is a live crowd i, I think they they went too far with some of this stuff and and i and you know you had bray white being set on fire in the middle of the ring and seth rollins plucking ray mysterio's uh, eyeball out right right, um, right. And, uh, Right, and think about those angles. Like these are all the result of they're not being live fans. And also they had the luxury of, you know, re- reshooting things. Like apparently right. in the, fir- the first take on, in the eye for an eye match, 
there was an orb that dislodged. The damn eye didn't come out. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, the decision was made. Nah, that's going a little too far. You know, let's mm, just yeah. have Seth Rollins vomit instead. But and there had to be things that were done that I don't think would have gone over with a live crowd. I, th- I think there were certain things. And in some ways, that's a good thing because it gives you a little breathing room to try things out. But in some ways, I think it's like it's kind of uh, it gives you some false sense of I don't know, because I feel like, for example, um, as interesting and fascinating and different as the 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 funhouse match was with John Cena and, and Bray Wyatt, you know, it was weird and bizarre. And I didn't know what I was watching when I first saw it. I think that if they had tried that in a live room. And like put it on the Titantron or whatever. Right. I put just it think a that Titantron in a massive football stadium. They would have, but I think they would have lost that crowd. I think the crowd would have mm. just been like, "What are we because sitting you've been here sitting watching?" They're watching a half-hour movie. Right. I think it plays yeah, well, better on just on TV that than it would have if it was with an audience. Right. Well, if you remember the the, the first uh, live show uh, after the pandemic or during the pandemic was WrestleMania uh, last year, thirty-seven in Tampa, and I was there. And I think night two opened with Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. And this was after Bray Wyatt was burned alive in, in the ring. And it was the, the first time that this angle was put in front of live fans and they rejected it completely. I mean, the, the, yes, you know, the it was booed out of the building. And I, I think I we never saw Bray Wyatt again. This is in the book. I described being at that WrestleMania. We were both in the press box, I believe, you and I, right? No, I, I was. No, I think I was just among the fans. Yeah. Okay, okay. But I was in the press box the first night from my vantage point, and I kept going into the stands to gauge the crowd and speak to people in the crowd. And um, the first night, people were so exhilarated that wrestling was live wrestling was back, and that they were sitting with other soaking wet. <laughs> and, and, and and they were sitting with live fans at a WrestleMania that WWE couldn't really do much wrong. Yeah. But the second night, you'd already sat through a night of, of WrestleMania. So when that first match, you know, Bray Wyatt and, um, you know, and Randy Orton came up and it, there was the bizarre ending where, you know, Alexa Bliss is like sitting on the Jack in the Box. Right, there's big Jack in the Box. Yeah. Coming down the face. And it's like, okay, WWE is back. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but do you think that Vince McMahon um, learned a, a lesson out of that? You know, d- did after they got know, fans that's back that's in the building, did he realize that maybe he took things too far? <laughs> he's got plenty of free time these days to uh, to take your call right <laughs> but, but do, do you think he realized he pushed things too far well i don't know i don't know what vince mcmahon learned or didn't learn I, yeah. I don't um you know i think they were just trying to see what worked as did aw and look let's remember that dance routine with chris jericho and mj right God, would so much weird stuff. Over, <laughs> would, would that go over now? I don't know. That got yeah. written up in the New York Times. Do you guys right. remember yeah. that? Where they were like I talking about that. one of the highlights because, of the year or something? Because again, they were talking about theatrical highlights of the year when Broadway was shuttered. Right. So right. again, this right. is where the real world and the wrestling world all came together, where the New York Times theater critic 
they're watching wrestling because what else is on? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. We, we, get, it, we get fresh. Do, do you think fans gave wrestling more rope because of this? And and it's already this bizarre outlandish uh, world, but w- were they more tolerant to some of this experimenting, understanding uh, that there were yes, so many were. limitations? Yes, yeah. yes. As a fan, I was appreciative that these people were giving me a product to watch mm-hmm. and they were giving me the one product that I love, you know, as opposed to like having to learn. And had there been, let's say, if the only sport in the world that was broadcast live was cricket at the time, I probably would have started following cricket, at least for that period. But it was wrestling, the thing I, I've been watching since I'm three years old. Yeah. How much uh, in the book do you discuss um, precautions taken? I mean, the, the, the other side of this is week in, week out, there were concerns about wrestlers, about fans, um, you know, and, and I think we talked about it. It might be the most uniquely, uh, I don't know if dangerous is, is the word, but it's impossible to be a pro wrestler and take these precautions, right? I mean, you, you are in your underwear rolling around uh, with, with another I- individual face-to-face, uh, you know, you can put a mask on if you want. It's not going to make that much of a difference. It's not going to make so, that much of a difference because you're also, you know, touching each other and spraying sure. germs. If you remember, you know, you were supposed to swab down surfaces with disinfectant. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember yeah. being on an airplane before the vaccine was out and uh, the person I was with, you know, pulled out sanitizer and was like scrubbing down the trays in front of us. My yeah. wife was wiping down the groceries. So yeah, the Amazon boxes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I knew a lot yeah. of people like a friend of mine, you know, had, you know, was in remission from cancer and he was getting groceries delivered to his house. And then he would have them leave it in the hallway. And then he would like spray it all down and leave it out there before he brought the groceries inside. And yeah. I guess yeah. he wasn't worried about anybody stealing it in his apartment building because no one wanted to touch it because they didn't know how much did you get that all was yeah absolutely and and for us and and for wrestling companies again there's a whole other uh, level complication Uh, what was your sense um and and i guess talking about wwe for the moment about how seriously they took precautions during the height of the pandemic i mean that's in the book i mean you know, WWE thought they were taking, you know, the most stringent precautions in sports. You know, there's a, I, I quote Triple H talking about uh, zapping the performance center with ultraviolet light at night to, mm-hmm. you know, pierce the virus. You know, they had some biochemical company that sold them that this is the one thing that will protect the people at the performance center. And are you going to say, well, you know, nobody gets work like a worker or you saying, Hey, they were just trying to be safe. No one knew any better. Yeah. Yeah. And even with those precautions, people got COVID obviously, and, and there was an effect on, on the product, you know, I guess the most notable being uh, Roman Reigns, not wrestling on WrestleMania that year. And he, he didn't, get it at least at the time, but, but he took the precautions. Um, well, you know, for, from your work on the book, what was sort of the, um, uh, and not to give anything away, but, but, but what were some of the more scarier moments? What were some of the more scarier moments, maybe touch and go as far as a wrestler health? 
Well, I'm, I'm going to say, um, and this is something I chronicle because I kept in touch throughout the pandemic with Brad La- uh, Brett Lauderdale, the promoter for, you know, Game Changer Wrestling, GCW. And um, the first collective that, that he was supposed to do, the collective is their, their shows. They bring all these indie promotions together, usually on WrestleMania weekend, and they're in one location. And they had to cancel the collective the, the week of uh, WrestleMania 36. So in October of 2020, he decides to do a collective in um, India in Indianapolis at the at the at the state fairgrounds. And all these indie promotions, primarily from the Midwest, you know, they they come out there. Most of the guys drive. Most of the fans have driven. You know, a few flew. I flew, but I was there to, to I was actually there to sell my last book at the merch table. And uh, it was in an agriculture agricultural building with giant barn doors. So the doors were open. We were indoors, but the doors were wide open. The wind could come in. There were giant fans like larger than a human being, you know, whirring at the time so you know we're supposed to like keep the bad air out and everybody was required to wear masks at one point like I was having a drink of something and then I kept the mask down and a woman came over and she's like put the mask back up and then right after that there was a report that three of the wrestlers had come down with COVID and realized there's no vaccine yet so three wrestlers coming down with COVID is a frightening prospect. Is this person going to end up in the hospital? Is this person going to end up on a ventilator? Is this person going to die? And then I was talking to Brett and it's in the book and he's like, oh my God, like he's checking his phone every minute. How many more people are going to come down with COVID? Like, is this going to be a super spreader event? Is GCW going to be out of business? You know, are people who went to my show going to die? And He's waiting for that shoe to fall, but nothing more happens. And those particular wrestlers recover. And, you know, in hindsight, did they get it at the collective? Did they have it the day before the collective? Yes, no, knows, no, yeah. It was not the crisis that he feared it would be. But when you put yourself in the shoes of an indie promoter with not a large budget, mm. that can ruin everything you've worked for. And even some with some budgets uh, were irreparably uh, harmed. I mean, a, a Ring of Honor uh, effectively went out of business. I mean, they were yes. they were resurrected uh, by Tony Khan. But I, I think you could trace yeah, who, yeah, after uh, Tony they, Khan. Look, if it wasn't for Tony Khan, they probably would not have gone out of business. Hmm. But you know, but when Cody and the Bucks and Kenny right gum ship, you know that that was the people who were drawing a lot of the fans to ring of honor but ring of honor was real i mean and and uh it, it in some ways it's sort of like no good deed goes unpunished that they got praise for maybe taking the pandemic the most seriously and they they kind of followed the nba bubble uh model where they kept their wrestlers in hotel rooms for the duration of their tv tapings and they were just out you know not running shows for many many months this is after they came back on um and ultimately I think they ran out of money, right? I mean, it, it sounds like that's effectively what happened with them. And I think they, they've always worked on, on a strict budget anyway. 
So, yeah. uh, you know, it's not like the difference between Tony Khan and Sinclair Broadcasting is, you know, Sinclair Broadcasting is not going to spend the kind of money that Tony Khan is going to spend. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there was a budget and you couldn't go much beyond the budget. That said, they paid the wrestlers. They paid the staff during yeah. that period. You know, there's a lot to celebrate for that period. But ultimately, they went out of business. And if you recall, um, once WWE and AEW and the other indies, were, including New, and New Japan, were doing shows in front of live crowds again, even if those crowds were socially distanced, Ring of Honor was still doing shows in empty arenas. And yeah. now it felt like you were watching wrestling 12, from 12 months earlier. And who the hell wanted to be bummed out by that? Right. It was it was yeah. sort of a, just a reminder, uh, just a downer in a way. It's kind of like those those New Japan shows where they wouldn't allow people to cheer or make noise. Well, I think, are, are, is that still in place? I think um, maybe I, I, I'm not so sure they've lifted that yet. Some they've yeah. listed they've lifted it for some and not others, which I have no idea why. Like there was a big deal a couple of weeks ago where it was like, oh, my God, it's the first show where we can cheer. And then I saw recently, maybe they had an outbreak where they said, they no, another... no, stop that cheering. Yeah, no, they did. Yeah. They had another show where it's like, okay, you can't cheer. Now you can cheer. Now you can't. It's just <laughs> odd. odd. Didn't they give them like buttons or something that would cheer for them or something? I, I thought that. Yes, I, I think that. it was some electronic device. Where you maybe could they could yeah. snap like the kids on college campuses do, you know, instead of, yeah. instead of but, yelling. But, but I think there was something you could control, like cheer boo neutral yeah that was that another was great. this is awesome <laughs> right that, that, you you effed up yeah <laughs> that, but that was one of the revelations and maybe not a revelation of but how important crowd noise is and and we've sat through you know even before or after the pandemic the match that a crowd is dead for and it makes all the difference sometimes the work in the ring Everything is is just banging right on, on all cylinders, but the lack of enthusiasm from a crowd will kill it. We've seen that in WrestleMania main events, and here night in night out, um, that it even the best of matches were playing to silence until you know there was this wake up of well maybe we just pump in fake noise, and and certainly WWE started doing that. I know Impact did that. Uh, what was your take on that, Keith? Using fake noise? Well, you know initially. Um, there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of criticism of the can noise. And I can't remember which podcast I was on because I was promoting to sweep uh, inside the indie wrestling revolution in the midst of the pandemic. So someone had me on a podcast and, um, you know, they said, oh, you know, I liked it. But yeah, I, I you know, it was like the, the first Thunderdome uh, pay-per-view had been shown. I liked it, but, you know, you could tell that noise was so canned. And I said, look, if having done work for Vince McMahon for many years, and Brian knows this, if we're talking about it, the people at WWE were talking about it. And right. they were re refining that audio as we spoke. Now, yeah. towards the end, I did not feel, now maybe I was suspending my disbelief. You know, I did not feel like the noise was canned. It suddenly didn't sound canned to me anymore. I, it, it's, I gave in to the Thunderdome. Yeah. 
it, it certainly was canned, but I do think they got better about making it more organic. And and the other reality is that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pop in an old WWF superstar, say, from the 80s or 90s. They've always been doing that, right? I right. mean, canned I mean, noise at, at wrestling shows is, is old. When, when, right. I, when I was doing, you know, the Freddie Blassie book back in like 2002, I went over to Japan and Shunya Yamaguchi, who was then a photographer, but later he was one of the Japanese um you know, WWE Japanese language announcers, he and I went to a killer cons restaurant in the red light district in Tokyo. And, um, you know, I told him and he didn't know this, that for years there was a tape of Hogan against killer con in Madison square garden. And for some reason there was like immense cheering. And every time a match needed to be sweetened up on, you know, WWE show, they went to that tape and they inserted some <laughs> of that noise. And you know, I didn't know that's where it came from. Yeah, and Killicon was quite gratified to hear that. Wow. Well, I didn't know it came from that specifically. I remember that. I, mean, so that I almost right? went to that, man. That, that came to me from somebody who worked in the TV studio, and I don't think he would have randomly picked that particular match. Right. It sort of went out of style. That's the thing. It was a big thing to sweeten the audio, like back in the days of the superstars and challenge tapings for the weekend. There was a lot of sweetened audio. And then I think maybe in the live Monday Night Raw era, it, it just fell out. It became well, well, Monday considered. Night Raw, and you know this because you right. were at the first Monday Night Raw. Well, um, you didn't need it. You didn't need it. You didn't need it because it was, it right. was very intimate. And yeah. everybody there was like you. Everybody there was a hardcore. And right. so you certainly didn't need to sweeten the sound. Hey, it was small. And so everybody there was a hardcore. So that was going to reverberate and you could feel that. The one time I think that they really overdid it in an unnecessary way with that during the pandemic was when they did the Hall of Fame. I felt like oh, doing, right. yeah. doing the Hall of Fame in an empty arena where you don't, and you know, there's no fans there, and you, st I don't even think they had the screens on, although maybe they did. And you're hearing all these weird, fake reactions to people's Hall of Fame speeches. It and 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 they're all and that's, very that's scripted in the book too. That's yeah, in the book. It, and I, and you know, like Scott Hall was telling me about it. Davy Boy Smith Jr. was telling me about right. it. And, you know, they were talking about you get up there and you're making your speech, <clears throat> and then you're told pause. You know, yeah. so it's like, yeah, and I want to compliment all, you know, all the people we worked with. And, you know, oh, that was so sting. terrible, that Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, sting, yeah. And you pause, cheer, right. cheer, cheer, cheer. One, two, three, four. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. you know uh, who else would the, the Steiner brothers? I think that would have been the time to kind of pivot and say this one time. We're going to do it like the like banquet style instead of, you know, like they used to do yeah. it. Like, yes. forget about the audience. It was a lot it, of fun. Just just have a banquet with with the with the wrestlers and, and company people in an intimate setting to it outdoors uh, with safety precautions. Do it like that. Just this one time rather than tr I felt like they just were trying to force it, just force it like we're going to do it. our yeah. way. And that's kind of and I two Hall of Fames into. Oh, know, I forgot. That's right. They did. Yeah. Oh, that's extra awful. Was, yeah. And, you know, they were limited in their time. Like they could only talk for like three minutes at a time. You know, there, there was a lot they were trying to get done because they were behind. They were like a year behind on the Hall of Fame. 
And, and because um, they could control the fans' reactions, I think they felt that much more emboldened to script everything that was uh, said. Because, and, and you remember, like, you know, Eric Bischoff, it, 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 he was, everything was so clearly scripted word but for word, Scott but you got the reaction said, you wanted. But Scott Hall said he wasn't, um, he wasn't scripted. He said he was told to confine his speech to like three minutes. And he said, you know, I know how to cut a promo. So I gave yeah. him my best three minute promo. Yeah, yeah. The, the flip side of this, and 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 uh, the other thing I'm remembering talking about this, about the um, uh, the Thunderdome was it wasn't just that the, the sound was canned, but it was the first time that fans were um, produced. So if you were in the Thunderdome, right, you would, uh, you'd be watching the feed and you'd have audio coming in from a producer, and he would say, you know, Edge is coming out in um, five seconds. Let's everybody get, you know, those signs up. Everybody, uh, you know, we want to see you applauding big. And then uh, it, it was like the equivalent of well, like the, the applause signs on Saturday Night Live. Did, did you, did you, you ordered that you like participated in the Thunder. I did, yeah, more than once. Yeah, so it was fascinating. For, would they say cheer yes. for Edge? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, they would. You know, we, we you know, everybody get up when they'd, when they'd be counting down, come back from commercial, they'd get everybody hyped up. So and so is coming up. Let's, you know, uh, let's cheer for them. I think they had you boo the heels. Uh, it's, it's so, there you know, fascinating. Thumbs down, as I remember. Like, look, yes, at the screen, there were a lot of people with felt. And there was even controversy around this. Do you remember? I'm just remembering some of this stuff that because you couldn't control, you know, what people did from home. It's I remember somebody was, uh, did they have a Crispin walk, a yes. cardboard yes. cutout, and I think? Somebody yeah. uh, put up some white supremacist symbol yes. yeah. and, you know, WWE declared these people are banned for life. I mean, are they? I mean, <laughs> what a weird I mean, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's funny that it already feels like, you know, such an ancient history um, yeah. and we were just living uh, through this. The other and thing I, I wanted hoping, to look and what I'm hoping is, you know, 20 years from now, someone looks at this and it's like, wow, you know, what What a snapshot of a time now. Yes, yeah, it's now, a great idea for a book just because of that, yeah. I know, mean, it, 20 it, years it, from now, somebody could say, eh, who the hell wants to read this? But <laughs> I'm hoping that, you know, for nostalgia's sake, it's like now you look at wrestlers who were, you know, mid-card guys, but in in hindsight, now there's certain a cult, a certain cult allure that they have. I'm hoping the same holds true for the pandemic era. Do you think there are wrestlers whose careers were made because of the pandemic? I mean, it, they there were certainly wrestlers whose careers were made during the pandemic era. I mean, especially in AEW. I mean, now, but again, is that because of the pandemic? Was it because of Tony Khan? You know, or is it because yeah. of them? Like Darby Allen, I had seen Darby Allen on the Indies. You know, Darby Allen was pretty exciting. Jungle Boy and um, you know MJF naturally, Sammy Guevara. You know, but would those guys' careers have been elevated regardless of the pandemic or not? What about you? What yeah, you I, I re the one that came to mind was Eddie Kingston, and um, you know, without a a live audience. Um, kind of determining whether something is over or not over, it's sort of left to the fans at home watching on TV to make their own call. And I don't know that that Eddie Kingston gets over as well as he did 
um, under normal times, you know. Um, but well, he's a great promo. Oh, and, I think it was totally and, well and deserved. I think it's one of the great heard, stories of the pandemic. You know, and unless you, yeah, he was telling great stories. And, yeah. you know, and this was the first time a lot of people were exposed to Eddie Kingston. I think somebody yeah. who definitely got more of an opportunity than he would have gotten was Drew McIntyre because you know or we, or do you I, I feel a little sorry for Drew McIntyre I do too I do too. yeah the WrestleMania moment was 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 taped I mean in the it book, was I, I quote him saying that um you know he didn't even accept that he'd won the title until he watched it on TV with his wife and then he's like wow I guess I really am the champ yeah, it's so weird yeah awesome. it was he weird for him belt. But I think what happened with him was that, you know, it was like this experiment to see, is this is this guy going to work as our top guy? Let's give it a shot. And I feel like um, once they went back to live crowds, I think his push died because I almost yeah. think like I, you know, that was the verdict. Like, this. we don't want this guy. I, I wrote about this both in the book and I wrote about this in Inside the Ropes magazine of WrestleMania 36. I was very curious to see the reaction to um to drew mcintyre now that there were live fans there and again it was wrestlemania so fans were hyped up anyway and he was in the first match with bobby lashley and really good match yeah it was a good match it was you know two big bulls just colliding you know that's the kind of match it was marketed as it lived up to expectations and you know, I felt the fans gave him a pretty big cheer. Now, had he been on after we'd already been sitting in the arena in, in the stadium for five hours, maybe he wouldn't have gotten as big of a cheer. But you know, I felt that there was a connection that the fans were feeling with him. Yeah, I've, I've called him the the man who built uh, the Thunderdome. Uh, you know, he had two world title reigns and never. Def- never um, wrestled for the title or defended the title in front of live fans. Yeah, I mean, just crazy. Uh, well, I guess he, he challenged for it at WrestleMania, but but he never uh, wrestled as world champion in front of live fans uh, in, in a year. Uh, so incredible. The, the, the other thing that, again, I, I think about a lot is that match, um, Randy Orton and Edge, that was hyped as the greatest match of all time. And uh, certainly wasn't, but was a really good match. And and the the thing that I took away from it was there's absolutely something to be said for the uh, the value and the the, the benefits of post production and what you can do with a match when you can do like like any other uh, uh, media does do several takes right. And I think you know one of them ended up getting hurt pretty seriously right because yeah, they so, okay. they they Edge, shot a bump Edge. several times. Yeah, Edge got Edge, hurt because they kept on reshooting something over and over again until they got it the way they 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 wanted it. But, but um, look, this, but, this, yes, I agree with you. But it's it's a it was a match in a laboratory setting, and it's so fascinating um, uh, doing something like that because wrestling by its nature is so kind of improvisational. And right. here it was uh, again they but were able to really put it together strange. exactly. Yeah, they were able right. to put it together exactly the way they wanted to. Right, right, and uh, you know, and I bring this up too in the book. Then you know because I took this all the way. Basically, the book goes from January 1st, 2020 to January 1st, 2022. Although, you know, I had some things to put it in context. Um, and, I, and I say 
that it's the only professional wrestling book ever that includes two WrestleManias, two Royal Rumbles, two Wrestle Kingdoms, and two U.S. presidential impeachments. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I well said. That, that match with um with the uh, the explosive barbed wire match. Oh yeah, it's another and, one. Yeah, and, and so that's Omega. Is that wait? That was uh that was Omega and Moxley. Yeah. Yes, with and Kingston running in. Yeah, with, with Kingston running in, and now we're coming out of the deep lockdown pandemic era. So it is at Daly's place, and there are fans, like real fans, in the in the in the building. Again, they're socially distanced, but they're real people there now. So you can't retape stuff. And then it's a botch. Kingston comes in, you know the. The fireworks look like sparklers going off. You know, the explosions look like sparklers going off. And people are complaining. But like a few weeks earlier, there were no fans in the building. And we were complaining that we were losing the spontaneous experience. And now fans are coming back and we're coming out of the pandemic era. And we're complaining about that. And, and think about if they did much more than they did and they've got a big plume of smoke and everybody's coughing all over each other in, in the middle of a pandemic. That wouldn't have been so great either. Right. But had it been six months earlier, they just would have reshot it. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Oh, uh, what was the. never would have known about the botch. What, what do you think? And some of this is obvious, but maybe not so much. What was the key difference in how AEW and WWE approached the pandemic? Well, I mean, the most obvious one would have been, um, you know, AEW, in my opinion, successfully recreated a studio wrestling feel by having the talent spread out among ringside and really acting as fans. And I really felt they were reacting as fans and they were truly having fun. You know, they weren't told what to say or how to act. And then WWE developed the Thunderdome, which, uh, you know, made a bigger splash than having just some wrestlers spread at ringside. And again, that's something that seemed to be revolutionary. And at the time, and this is all in the book, you know, I, I remember thinking like, wow, this Thunderdome is so good. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they'll find a use for it after this is all over. But of course, why would you have something in a Thunderdome now? Yeah. You know, what's interesting also about the Thunderdome is that because they have all these other B shows, whether it was at the time 205 Live or, or Main Event. And um, for those, they just took footage of of fans from raw and smackdown and just kind of repurposed it for all these other shows so there were no no live fans essentially for that but but my other you know takeaway uh about aw's model is that uh you know we talked about how wrestling doesn't work in silence but the difference between having nobody there and having just a few people there was huge i mean just even a, a, a few people to applaud, to pop for moves, a smattering of applause went a long way. Right. And, you know, I want to point out that, you know, I this, this book isn't just an AEW or WWE book. So we have things in this book like the social distancing match that between Jimmy Lloyd and Joey Janela that was done in an empty arena for GCW. 
where they had to stay six feet apart. And, you know, one guy would hip toss the other and the other would sell it from across the ring. And Chris Levin, the referee, had a tape measure, you know, and then <laughs> you had other things like um, I'm looking at this here. This is the promotion in um, in, in Finland and where they were in um, an oil silo. So it's very creative for a small promotion in Finland. They know they can have live crowds, but they have a match inside an oil silo. And so there's this really cool and eerie echo and there's darkness and it works. And then, you know, the promotion Fist in uh, in uh, San Diego, small promotion, they were having drive-in shows. So, you know, there were a lot of small promotions that managed to survive and get around the pandemic. And they all deserve credit for their ingenuity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was so much innovation that came out of it. And and you mentioned uh, uh, the drive-in shows. I remember going to some drive-in local concerts um, that summer in 2020. And they were so cool to me. That was like the way to go to local concerts going forward, sitting on, it's basically combining the tailgate experience and the concert uh, yeah, itself. You and you've got- outside the car and yeah. you know, and fans would honk the horn for for the the, the band and stuff uh, as, right. as and kind of an applause. Were like honking the horn for the for the for the baby face at the at yeah. driving shows, you know. And I can remember, um, you know, there were also driving movies that people. Yeah, that came back. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Came back. yeah, yeah. What, what, what are some ways um, that you think uh, uh, or, or some lessons that wrestling got from the pandemic that have stuck around and and that we still see now? Well, I when I was on the Busted Open radio show uh, discussing this with uh, some of some of the, the hosts, Mickey James said because she couldn't um, rely on the crowd to inform what she was doing in the ring she reverted back to just really cool wrestling moves. And she feels that that's carried over to the present day that, you know, without having the fans there, in some ways there was a, a movement back to wrestling. Not that it's the wrestling that you would have seen in the Hackenschmidt and, and Gotch days, but uh, you know, there was a, there was a move to, it's a wrestling show, show them wrestling. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I remember um, talking to uh, uh, Bailey, uh, or I think it was Bailey, uh, and and making kind of the opposite point that you know, with, without worrying about the fans' approval, you could just kind of go out there and do what you want, and and that's where her, uh, you know, talking about wrestlers that really maybe um, had the careers made from the pandemic. Bailey might be another one, uh, but it was like removing this pressure from wrestlers to pop a live crowd, right? And then and it's then just like, follow your instincts. You know, like The Miz, the first broadcast of, you know, WWE in the Performance Center, The Miz was saying like, even though there are no people here, Orlando, Florida is still a hellhole. And Jericho <laughs> came on AEW and you know, he said, after what happened last week, I don't care what's going on in the world. Fans are banned from AEW. So there was some humor in playing off of what yeah. was going on in the world, except for one thing. And I point this out. Neither WWE nor AEW ever 
said the two words Donald Trump during that entire period. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Or since, <laughs> I think. That's I mean, have true. we heard it since? <laughs> yeah, they don't yeah. talk about Putin anymore. You remember when they would always... Of course, I think about up. it all the time. Yeah. They would put Putin up on the screen to get heat on... On, uh, on, uh, on, on God, Rusev. What the heck? Rusev. Rusev, right. Yeah. And that would be unthinkable now. To oh, do. now? Yeah, of course. Well, now... Unthinkable. Now it would be funny. Right. But also, also you polarize your audience now because you know a, a, a portion of these nut jobs think he's a great guy so you know yeah. you know you you want to retain those fans too right well that that's <laughs> the, that's the whole thing about you know about not saying donald trump's name you'd alienate half the audience right. although right. one one fan on amazon said i alienated half the half of the wrestling community by mentioning trump so well, sure. you know, what are you going to do? I, I I made my decision and I stand by it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a fascinating time. I, th- I think it's such a cool uh, uh, subject matter uh, for a book. Um, I remember, you know, for, for years I'd, I'd go to wrestling shows like in um, in the Westchester County Center. It's so small. And I'd always sort of think almost comically, can you imagine if they tried doing a WrestleMania here? You know, how ridiculous that would look. And we got something more ridiculous than that in in, um, WrestleMania, whatever it was, 36. 36, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, one one thing that's always made me feel bad about uh, that, and maybe you know the guy, and I've met him, I forget his name, but he went to every WrestleMania uh, up until that one. You're talking about Vladimir or Charlie? Charlie or Charlie. Charlie, Charlie, yeah. Yeah, it's Charlie. Yeah. And, and I got to talk to him about this. And, and he I think he told me that there was even some discussion of of making it work, whether they could get him in the building well, um, the for that. that. I think they would have had to hire him or something. And, and, and you know what? It's interesting. Like, and, you know, Brian has seen this. There is the McMahon family definitely cherishes their, their longtime fans. And I could have seen, you know, Charlie Adorno being given a day job just so he could. Say yeah, it sort of broke my heart that he he couldn't be there. Um, and, and I think there were a handful of people who were there. I mean, I think um, was it Jim Ross? Some, no, Jim Ross went to a UFC show that, that nobody was at. But I I imagine some folks were in that building, and that is the ultimate you know, uh, a fan you know story, right? I was well, at the WrestleMania that nobody was at, like WrestleMania took place on one day like they were shooting right sure yeah they were shooting but if you could have been in the building for one of the matches yeah you know it's like okay drew mcintyre's in the building pre-taped wrestlemania for the next month for drew mcintyre we're doing all of drew mcintyre's matches now while we have him here because we're trying to be safe and then we get him out and we bring in you know aj styles Right. Remember, Drew's first defense was against the big show five minutes after he uh, won the title from Brock Lesnar. Yeah. I mean, they brought him right out and they did a match, I I think, was for for Raw. So, uh, yes, absolutely bizarre. Uh, Anyway, uh, again, I I think uh, a super interesting uh, topic for a book. Uh, Where can fans get it? Okay, well, as I as I pointed out, follow the buzzards pro wrestling in the age of COVID-19 can be purchased anywhere you purchase books. Like I said in another interview, it's not like you have to go to the dark web to find it. It's ECW Press. It's on Amazon. If you walk into a a bookstore, community bookstore, or a chain, it will likely be there. Um, You know, it starts selling 
in stores in the UK and in Ireland starting in November. Uh, so most fans watching here, they can procure us. You, you talk about, you know, changes coming out of the pandemic. One that I, I recently read is more bookstores are popping up. So Barnes & Nobles is uh, opening a bunch of more brick and mortar bookstores on Long Island, uh, where, where I am, because reading um, took off during the pandemic. Well, so we, we, they were selling more books. Did reading take off on Long Island or did... Uh, what, <laughs> Long Islanders <laughs> learned to read during the... Uh, <laughs> let's, let's alienate some more fans. <laughs> see, see I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. I really am, honestly. Because to me, this is my own editorial, the pandemic and everything I saw online and the rise of TikTok and everything and all that happened during the pandemic, it proved to me the lengths that people will go to to avoid reading at all costs. <laughs> Even you know? when you have nothing else to do. Right, when you have nothing else to do, I will find things to do. I'm going to rather than my read. closet. Yeah. Right. So, so what you're saying is encouraging because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was wrong. Some people, that. some people did pick up a book. I was right. not one. <laughs> at the wrestling universe in Queens selling my book on, uh, on Saturday. And look, that was easy for me because I grew up in that neighborhood. So I'd say, you know, at least 10 of the books that were sold were sold to people who went to PS209 with me. So I'm not sure <laughs> those really Great. count as official books. Awesome. Then. But yeah. the way I would get, like, if someone was there with a kid, the way I'd get them to buy a book is I'd say to the kid, you look like a very literate young lady. And invariably, <laughs> parents would buy her a book. It's <laughs> a good trick. All right, Keith. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Brian. You want to mention your, your? You have something you can hold up. I'll hold up the PWA 500. Do you have a, a, oh, a book to I, hold up? I don't want to. Do, <laughs> no, no. I, I can save my book plug on this one. This is about Keith's book. We'll we'll plug my book again on the next one. I do that All every right, we'll week. See. You already wrote a better book than me. No. As, no, no. as I said, you were at my book party, and I, I announced it to everybody. I said, "This is Brian Solomon. If it wasn't for Brian Solomon, I would have written the best." Wrestling book of 2022. Uh, now I've written and, the second best wrestling. And book. we're both gonna lose the Observer Book of the Year award to Brian DeWorks. <laughs> so we have that in common. <laughs> right. But he'll pay in the end. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much. As always, Keith, in particular, uh, a pleasure to have you on. And hopefully we'll do it again. I'm, I'm sure you're gonna have another book before long, and we'll have you back on. Thank you. Right. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll do it again soon. Take care. Yes, got to go do that. (laughs) Bye, guys.